0: This is Reset, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Coming up this hour, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has directed state agencies to investigate families who provide gender-affirming treatments for their kids. We'll hear from Chicago's Howard Brown Health and Lurie Children's Hospital about that move. Plus, we hear from multi-instrumentalist Namdi and hip-hop artist Rhymefest about the black Chicago musicians who inspire them. But first, Russian forces continue to wage war in Ukraine and more civilians are dying in rocket attacks. Not long after negotiations ended yesterday, there were two major strikes on the eastern city of Kharkiv. Meanwhile, a Russian military convoy some 40 miles long is headed toward Kyiv, and nearly 700,000 Ukrainians have fled the country. So what is next for Ukraine and for the people in our area with family there? Chicago lawyer John Huko is one Ukrainian-American who's been watching the situation closely. He lived in Ukraine in the nineties and helped draft the Ukrainian constitution after the fall of the Soviet Union. Hi, John. Welcome to Reset.
1: Sasha, great to be with you.
0: John, what has been going through your mind this week as Russia continues to bomb Ukrainian cities?
1: Uh, just a whole whole slew whole slew of emotions. It's absolutely like living in a in a horror movie. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem real yeah. uh, that such an enormous invasion would be launched against the country that really was posing no threat to Russia. Uh, on a personal level, it's been, it's been very, very difficult. Uh, seeing friends, family in these difficult situations, um, yeah, not been easy.
0: Yeah, and as I mentioned, you helped draft Ukraine's first constitution when it declared independence from the Soviet Union back in 1991. So what's it been like for you to watch this sovereign nation invaded by its neighbor?
1: Well I was uh, fortunate to be uh, working in Ukraine in the, in the early 90s in 1991 I worked for years as a legal advisor in the Ukrainian parliament was in the Ukrainian parliament building when Ukraine declared independence in August of 1991 and it was just I remember the euphoria that finally Ukraine is independent sort of the dream of my parents my grandparents of, of having an independent country and it's been a it's been a rocky road it's been there's sort of ups and downs in Ukraine's trajectory over the last 30 some some years um, but it has now developed into a democratic country with a thriving civil society with a free press uh, numerous presidential elections unlike its uh, neighbor to the north uh, and to see that this has happened is just is just incredible but what's really ironic sasha Ann, is that it's really been putin over the, his actions over the last 15 years who's done more to unify ukrainians and to create a ukrainian state i mean it's absolutely extraordinary you see russian-speaking cities kharkiv Sumit, Chernihiv, mariupol fighting to the death against a vastly stronger Russian, Russian force. And when you see that sort of thing happening, you realize that Ukraine has come a long way, and there's no turning back. Yeah. Ukraine is now a UK nation.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the latest news. Uh, NPR confirms this morning that a 40-mile-long Russian military convoy is headed straight for Kyiv. That's a frightening development, John.
1: That's extraordinarily frightening, and uh, although you do hear news reports now of Russian soldiers abandoning their tanks, punching holes in their gas tanks, because uh, especially these younger conscripts who are just sort of thrust into this and are wondering why are we here, what are we, what are we, what are we fighting for? But for people within the city, uh, it's terrifying. I'm in regular WhatsApp contact with with friends and, and family, and mm-hmm. it's um, What are they nights in the metro- well. It's you know they're hunkering down. They're saying they're not leaving. We will win. They're they're really you know optimistic in the sense that they they have confidence in the ukrainian military but you know there's a 40 mile long convoy that's going to encircle Kyiv, and they're going to try to going to try to take it kharkiv the second biggest city in uh, on the uh, right with the border with russia in the east there they're basically bombing the city now they bombed the main square they bombed uh, reportedly the opera house and the city administration uh it's going to be a horrific horrific uh, tragedy unless uh, unless putin stops
0: well, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has struck a defiant tone so far, right? He's stayed in Kyiv, and he says that he and his top ministers are going to fight in the streets if it comes to that. What do you make of of his message and, and his government sending this message to the Ukrainian people?
1: Oh, it's been absolutely extraordinary. I mean, everybody I've talked to there has been just, you know— Amazed and and just grateful for the position he's taken, and he was you know he was not terribly popular prior to the war. He had you know his administration was viewed as not terribly not terribly effective in many, many areas, but he has stepped up. I would say almost stepped up in a Churchillian way a rally of the ukrainians the bravery he's shown by staying by refusing to leave uh his very savvy use of of uh, social media mm-hmm. and and digital channels has been extraordinary uh it's, it's sort of this unexpected churchillian figure who's sort of risen up from uh, from the from the abyss and is rallying his people
0: yeah his uh passion and his speeches they they seem to have inspired many nations to come to Ukraine's defense. Do you think the international community is doing enough?
1: Well, I've always felt that they were not doing enough. My personal view is we should have been much more aggressive in providing Ukraine with more defensive weaponry uh, much earlier, uh, including right after Crimea, to create an uh, effect a porcupine that was just going to be too big for Putin to swallow. There was concerns about obviously provoking him, etc. But that proved to be misfounded in that we didn't give him enough weaponry and he still he still uh, he still uh, invaded. But I think we're on the right track now. I think there's really four things that need to happen. One, we need to continue um, supplying military uh, weaponry to Ukraine. They can defend themselves, as we've seen. Miraculous defense against an overwhelming Russian force uh, mm-hmm. coming in. Second sanctions we need to even increase what we're doing i mean really continue to hit the oligarchs hard credit cards visas their families uh and i think the french and others are now starting to put together teams to actively hunt down their yachts their mansions their vineyards uh etc three humanitarian assistance uh what's going on on the borders is extraordinary as you mentioned in the lead and 700,000 people have already uh are on the move and they're going to obviously expect more if they begin start to start taking cities and then finally This is, in effect, a historic moment for the Russian people. They need to, in my view, exhibit the same bravery that the Ukrainians are exhibiting. Putin is not Russian. I suspect the vast majority of Russian people, if they truly were aware of what was happening, would be appalled. And so this is, in my view, at least, really only going to end when we see some, you know, an effect regime change. And that's on the Russian people to show and demonstrate that same bravery Mm -hmm. in the Russian elites that the Ukrainians have shown in this war.
0: That is John Huko a Chicagoan who worked as an advisor to the Ukraine parliament. John, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We turn now to Olya Soroka, uh, global chair of the Holodomor Descendants Network. Millions of Ukrainians died in the Holodomor famine in 1930s Ukraine. Some scholars call it a genocide perpetrated by Soviet leader Joseph Stalin. Olya, welcome to Reset.
2: Thank you very much, Sasha, for having me today.
0: So the war in Ukraine, it's developing quickly. I wonder where your family is in the country, and, and what's the latest that you've heard from them?
2: So my, I have uh, two factions of my family. My mo- my mother's side of the family is about two hours west of Kyiv, and I've not been able to reach them since just before the war started. Uh, and I fear for their safety as they were right on the path of the invading army from Russia. Um, unfortunately, I'm praying for them, and I hope that they have been able to find shelter uh, in places. I, I know some of them have probably taken up arms uh, and are fighting yeah. um, to the death. My oh, mother's so family is about two hours—my uh, father's family is about two hours west of—southwest of Review of and uh, I did, was able to reach them. They are staying put. They, as of right now, are safe. Um, I talked to them just a day ago. They are currently hosting um, refugee families from CAVE. They're hosting a mother with two children, one of which is handicapped.
0: Oh, boy. I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. I I do hope you're able to get in contact with the other family very soon.
2: I will keep trying.
0: Yeah. That's all we can do at this point. Um, You know, we we mentioned this conflict's already created nearly 700,000 refugees in less than a week's time. You know, people from across the country— Trying to flee west to places like Poland and, and Hungary. Does the family that you did get in touch with do they plan to leave?
2: No, I, I specifically asked them that, and they uh, told me no. We are, we are not leaving. We are staying. We will do whatever we have to do. Um, they actually, uh, the eldest of them, still lived under the Soviet Union, and they know what life was like then, and they know the history of Ukraine, and they know what. Russia has done uh, through centuries uh, to Ukraine. They are not leaving, and they are going to do whatever they have to do to help protect Ukraine, help protect its independence and and its people.
0: Now, Russian aggression against Ukraine is nothing new, but uh, did you ever imagine that Ukrainians would find themselves in this situation where they're fleeing and trying to fight for their lives?
2: You know, I'm an optimist by nature, and, you know, I felt that things would be done that would help prevent such an event from ever occurring again. But I'm also a part realist, and knowing the history of Ukraine and knowing what has happened, not just in the recent 30 years, but throughout the centuries, how Ukraine has always been something that's been desired by the Russian Federation, the Russian Empire, the Russian uh, the Soviet Union. Um, I prayed against all odds because what sane normal human being could ever imagine that a leader of a country that is so powerful in the world would attack a smaller nation unprovoked who and all they're seeking for is independence to live their own lives. You know, we are Ukrainians. We are a strong nation, and we've proved through centuries that they've not been able to annihilate us. And, you know, who in his right mind would think that somebody would do that? So I prayed against all odds that it wouldn't happen. But in the back of my mind, I knew there was a distinct possibility that it could because they've proven that they've done it before.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about that rally in Chicago on Sunday. You were there.
2: I was there with my uh, youngest son. And uh, I felt immense pride, uh, immense pride in the unity of the Ukrainians in support of Ukraine in the Chicago area. I was born and raised in Chicago, and I saw so many of the people that I went to grammar school with, that I've worked with in numerous organizations. Everybody was there rallying to support the, support Ukraine and against the Russian war um, unprovoked. Yet I was also sad because I've been to many of these types of rallies in the past. Back in the 60s, we were rallying because Russia was in, 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 um, taking prisoner our dissidents who were fighting for Ukrainian freedom under the Soviet Union.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the rallies for the Orange Revolution and the Revolution of Dignity recent in our recent history. So a mixture of pride, immense pride and sadness that yet again we're having to rally um, because— a, a, invading force is trying to take away the liberty of a sovereign nation.
0: Well, you're, you're here in Chicago. Do you feel like being all the way here, you're able to make a difference?
2: You know, we're doing whatever we can do to help with humanitarian aid, uh, with supporting our families, supporting uh, anything that we can do to dispel dis- disinformation, because uh, the Putin propaganda system is large out there. It is trying to to send out lots of lies, and we are doing everything we can to get information from Ukraine out so that we can make sure that the world knows what really is happening. If they didn't believe us for the decades where we've been providing this information before, God, I hope that they believe us now when they see innocent men, women, children. Yesterday, they killed 16 children. How, how can anybody, how can anybody live with that?
0: Olya Soroka is the global chair of a Baltimore descendants network. Olya, my very best to all of your family. Uh, thank you so much for making the time to talk with us.
2: Thank you very much, Sasha. And thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.